0: We've got a great episode for you today. Today we have Andrew Updike, who is the economist who we have had on previous episodes, and you guys keep asking for him. Uh, You love the way he talks. He explains things in such a good manner, complex things in such a way that anyone can understand, and that's why we keep bringing him back. Um, So I
1: think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Yeah, just to whet your appetite, we're going to talk about inflation. We know that's a big topic, and he has some really good uh, information on that. Fed tapering, unemployment, uh, Evergrande. That was a big issue uh, that a lot of people have been asking about, the Chinese fund that was going to default and May still. And uh, then uh, we close with what keeps him up at night and what is he excited about. So this is going to be a great episode. Uh, we know you'll enjoy it. By the way, if you've not had a chance, wherever you listen to us, please follow us. That uh, obviously helps the show, but it also helps you get to get uh, updates when we launch a new episode. Also visit our website, pomwealth.net. Go to the blog page. There's a new blog article that comes out every single week. Super valuable if you are close to or in retirement. But before we get into the episode, we have to do a quick disclosure.
0: That's right. The information contained in this podcast is intended to provide general information only and not to be considered individualized advice. Different types of investments carry different levels of risk. As always, please contact your financial professional for advice appropriate to your situation. Enjoy the show.
2: Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve, are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq.
1: Welcome everyone to our special edition of our Monday interview. Um, today we've brought back, uh, our, our lead economist, Andrew Updike. So let me just say this before we go much further, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming back again and, and helping us because it's always, this is always so nice to be able to get a nice overview uh, of how the economy is working and what it looks like. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. I love our conversation. Thanks for having me back. Great. So uh, I tell you what, you know, we've tried, our goal has been trying to get you on about once a quarter or every quarter. Um, mm-hmm. and And so, Could you kind of just kind of say, okay, here we set uh, the time we're recording this is, um, you know, September 2021. Mm -hmm. Give us an overview, like, you know, how do you see things right now? I mean, we were having such a huge pump in the first part of the year. We've kind of gone in this flat line, minor pullback. We've got some bigger news with some things going on. Can you just kind of give us a synopsis of where you see things at right now?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say the story of the first half of the year was that we had the vaccinations going out. We had Delta uh, was not yet a thing. The, the COVID cases were declining across the country. We were back in this full kind of reopening mode. So we, we saw an acceleration in economic activity in the first quarter and the second quarter. This past quarter, the delta numbers kind of started to rise. We didn't really see restrictions put in place. There were some mask mandates, um, but we did start to see a little bit of a moderation on the economic data side. Uh, That said, I think you're hearing it a lot if you turn on TV. If you turn on the radio, if you open the newspaper, it's been getting a lot of coverage. And then you add in, there's been uh, what happened in Afghanistan. There's been questions about what's going on at the border. As we reach the end of the year, there's an escalation in the conversations related to uh, uh, the, the infrastructure bill. There has been an escalation in questions about a Budget Reconciliation Act. So, you know, we're, we're kind of compounding uncertainties here in the third quarter. And with the Delta that's kind of moderated activity, it's led to some volatility in the markets for sure. But here's what I'll say, when we dig beneath the data and we look at, has this impacted consumers? Are consumers seeing a sharp pullback in what they're doing? Uh, have they have they stopped going to restaurants? Have they stopped going on trips? Uh, has, have businesses stopped investing? The answer to that is is no, they've kind of continued to move forward. The data is, particularly with the Delta in employment, which has been a hot topic here in the third quarter, uh, the last data we got for the month of August showed a lower than expected number came in at about 200,000. That was pre-ending of additional benefits. And I'll say that was also pre-school starting back up. So uh, over the last three months, we've added about 750,000 jobs per month on average. As we head here into the fourth quarter, the expectation is the school coming back, uh, the, the, the uh, COVID cases right now on the downtrend, it looked like, are setting us up for a little bit of a re-acceleration in activity as we move into the end of the year.
0: Gotcha, Andrew. So thank you for that little synopsis. And now, now we want to get into some of the things that have been major headlines, but what we, what we appreciate on your approach and, and first trust's approach is you guys are very numbers oriented, just like we mm-hmm. are. And so we don't, we, we tell our clients all the time, let's not get caught up in the emotions of what the media is saying, because ultimately the media's job is to make things interesting. Right. And it's not, yeah. it's not always, you know, uh, uh, objective and we like to be objective. So uh, the first topic I'd like to hit is uh, around inflation. Uh, I mm-hmm. read it just this morning, uh, Deloitte came out and said that inflation has actually been subsiding a little bit here in the U.S. And so I wanted to because over the past couple months, it's been, whoa, inflation is going to be terrible numbers that we haven't seen in decades. And so I just want you to touch on that. Where are we at with inflation right now with everything that's going on?
3: Yeah, so the the latest data point that we got on inflation did show a little bit lower number than we've seen in prior months. But I caution in that that one of the factors that pushed that number down was a decline in things like airline ticket prices. That is something when the Fed says transitory, they've historically, you know, over the last year, been talking about prices that went too high and they expect them to come down. That's one of those prices that went down and I expect it's going to come back up. But even if we ignore that, the number that came in was uh, CPI, consumer price inflation, rose 0.3% on the month. If you annualize that, if we had that each month throughout the year, that's about 3.5% inflation for the year, which is substantially above. We were at about 1.5% during almost the entirety of the recovery from the financial crisis. So we're moderating back down in the last month or two, uh, but we're still well above where we were pre-COVID, you know, last recovery. And here's the other thing I would note. What what really hasn't been showing up in the data from an inflationary standpoint is housing. And that, that shocks people a lot of times when we talk about this, but housing, the way housing gets calculated for inflation numbers, they're not looking at home prices. They say, you buy a home, that's an investment. You're gonna sell the home later. You may sell the home for more than you bought it for. What they care about is the consumption of the home. So essentially they're looking at rent prices, right? Cause you don't own it before, you don't own it afterwards. It's a pure consumption number. We had a moratorium on evictions over basically the last uh, 12 to 18 months that recently got lifted. Now we're starting to see some rapid repricing on the rental side, as as they're starting to bring in new tenants, tenants are moving on. So I have a feeling that as we move through the fourth quarter and into the beginning of next year, we could see a reacceleration on the inflation numbers. And I'll say that the Fed, who the Federal Reserve recently had a a meeting, it was their September meeting, and they acknowledged this. They've essentially acknowledged that inflation has been more persistent than they thought. It's running higher than they thought. They lifted their guidance on where they think inflation is going to be this year, next year. And the year after, I don't think we're going to be at six, seven percent inflation over the next two, three years. But I do believe, and it looks like the Fed is starting to lean towards the the belief that we're probably going to be in the two, three, four percent range for the next few years.
1: Good, thank you. So, uh, now talking about the Fed, that you know they're they're talking about this tapering idea and you know Mm -hmm. pulling back, which I think for most people, it makes sense. Like you can't keep doing this, right? But every time that conversation comes up, it freaks the market out, Uh, or at least they'll say it does for a day or so. Uh, Could you kind of help us maybe understand, why, logically, I think most people in the United States would say it needs to be done, but yet why the market reacts so negatively to it and how you see that playing out?
3: Yeah, so, so the reason that it doesn't really, I mean, to be honest, the goal for the Fed is they've got a two-fold mandate. One is on employment and one is on inflation. Uh, and what they're doing right now, they're purchasing $90 billion a month in U.S. Treasury securities. What they're doing on the mortgage-backed security side, they're purchasing $30 billion, so it's $120 billion a month. It's, it's not really doing anything to lift employment. Right? There's no companies that are out there that says, oh, the 10-year the Treasury at uh, 1.3% just isn't quite low enough for us. We were going to hire that person, but we're not going to do it now. That's not at all the case. What we have is more job openings than we've ever had in the history of the United States. It's been difficulties getting people back to work. And the people are not sitting there looking and saying, hey, if the 10-year Treasury was a little bit lower, then I'm going to go back to work. So I think the markets, I think economists are looking at what the Fed is doing and saying, what you are acting on, the the purchases you're making, are not impacting the areas that you're really focused on. It's not really providing benefit. And on the mortgage-backed security side, I haven't heard anybody argue that the housing market uh, is struggling right now and needs more support. If anything, they need more workers, but again, this isn't going to fix that. So it's appropriate. I think it's appropriate the Fed could have started this Before And what the Fed wants to do, the the key thing that the Fed does that impacts markets, impacts the economy, is when they start to lift interest rates, when they lift the federal funds rate, which is the base rate that impacts our mortgage rates, our car loans, our student loans, business borrowing and investment. And the Fed wants to have tapering done. They want to have eliminated the purchases before they make movements on the rate hike side. Now, the rate hikes are not coming this year. I, I, I would kind of be surprised if we see them in the next 12 months. But as we get towards the end of 2022, and we start looking into 2023, it's probably going to be appropriate for them to start raising rates, so they want to have tapering out of the way. Now, why does the market freak out at times? Well, for that, we have to go back to 2013. <clears throat> 2013, we had what was called the taper tantrum. That's the last time that the Fed was doing these types of purchases and then pulled back on it. Now, 2013 and 2021 to me are incredibly different environments back then the the financial system the banking system was far less capitalized uh, one thing to take from history, and we see this with every single recession. When a recession happens, we focus intensely on what led to that, that, that recession. And we put all these safeguards in place to try to prevent it from ever happening again. So the last recession and this, this recession almost never looks like the last one. Our banks came into this recession incredibly well capitalized. Uh, they had more assets. They had more equity. They had fewer loans as a percent of that. They had stronger loans. And so the, the banks have been stalwarts through this. Right now, the banks are overloaded with liquidity. They have more than enough cash on hand. So the, the concern that happened in 2013 was as the Fed stops buying, there's liquidity in the system. Is, are, are the banks going to get stressed? And what it led to was about a 1% rise in interest rates. Now, ironically, the the interest rates rose on the news that the Fed was gonna slow down purchases, and then those interest rates moved right back lower during the purchases. We realized in 2013 that it did not have the impact that we thought it would. The tapering discussions have led to some volatility in the markets. It's led to some volatility in interest rates, but not nearly as substantial as it was back in 2013. And, And Powell said at this last press conference, unless we get a terrible jobs report next month, which I think is an unlikely scenario, the Fed is going to start this tapering process at their next meeting, which is in November. And they're going to start that process. They're going to start to ease their way back. And that's going to take them six to eight months to do that, to to kind of clear themselves from the market. I expect the banks will come in. They'll pick up purchasing treasuries where the Federal Reserve is not. I think it's going to largely be a non-event, but nobody knows for sure. And uncertainty, related to government policy, federal reserve policy, COVID, uncertainty in general is is the key driver of volatility in markets. So it's something we're going to be living with here, I think, as we move through the end of the year. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, Get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net
1: forward slash podcast and check us out.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost um, comical in a way how how specific and how careful the fed has to be with their rhetoric when when they're coming out with these um these updates and everything almost more important than what you know their speech writing i think is probably more important right now than what the president's is uh, because of the impact that it has i mean the meeting that happened just the other day and then the markets took off because it Mm -hmm. it, it's not happening immediately now it's going to happen in a few months we all know that but the markets loved it just the other day Mm -hmm. so um, with that said, you you mentioned unemployment, um, mm-hmm. and, and we know that the additional unemployment benefits have have uh, subsided, and mm-hmm. and um, and we've talked about this in a previous podcast um, where you kind of made some not I guess some some very logical guesses as to what's going to happen when these these additional benefits go away. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there any data that's coming in yet? Or or is it too soon to talk about what's going on there? But what are your thoughts as far as, hey, now these additional benefits are gone. And we still are seeing, especially in the service industries, restaurant industries, a lack of employment, a lack of being able to fill the tables, not because people don't want to go out to eat, but we don't have enough people to serve. So what are you at right now with all that?
3: Yeah. So so we don't have enough data yet. I was looking at the data uh, this morning. We got the most recent initial claims report, continuing claims report, uh, but they lag. They lag with a week or two or three weeks. So we really don't have much information on how this is changing the dynamics in the employment market. And for for everyone listening, the two major changes that we've seen over the last month were, one, the removal of the additional unemployment benefits and, Ironically, I don't know who was the PR person in charge of this, but we, we pulled the additional benefits on Labor Day of all days, but we removed it for the 24 states that had not already moved. Now, those 24 states include California, New York, Illinois, and Michigan, which were among the highest in the entire country in terms of unemployed people. They alone represented about four, four and a half million people on these extended unemployment benefits that have now gone away. Um, We haven't gotten a great check yet on on how many of them or if they're coming back into the labor market. The other group is the group that was dealing with childcare issues. And I, I completely get this one. My wife is a fourth grade teacher and last year she was teaching school from home while my daughter was taking kindergarten from home and I had a two and a half year old at home I was in the office because during COVID, we had never been busier. I get the burden that it put on people last year, trying to work or think about going to look for work when they were dealing with the kids at home. But now my wife's back in school. My daughter is in school. My little guy, he actually just turned four last week. Uh, He's in preschool. School's back in session. I think that's also going to be easing some of the, the, the burden on the childcare. Now, the employment report, this is the headline report. This is the one that gets the most attention. That gets done the week of the 12th in any given month. So these benefits ended on the 6th. The survey is that week that ends kind of with the 12th. There just was not enough overlap to really see, I think, a pickup in activity. We're gonna probably have to wait until November when we get the October report. In the meantime, we're gonna continue to look at places like Indeed, Indeed, who does the job posting, job search, uh, activity, that was one of the areas that had shown earlier on that when the benefits ended in the other 26 states that ended earlier, they saw a pickup in job search activity, in job applications. If that plays out with these remaining 24 states, and I, I think logically, you know, people are going to look and say, I still need to pay for food, I still need to pay for a place to live, I still need to – I think we're going to see a portion, not everyone, but I think we we'll are see a portion of those people return back into the labor market as we move towards the end of the year. You add in that again, those Delta cases are on the downswing now nationally. Uh, and I think as we move in the fourth quarter, I think we're gonna see a reacceleration. maybe see some months where we add 800, 900,000, maybe a million plus. And so far this year, just, just to, to put all these numbers in perspective, we've added 4.7 million jobs so far through August. I think we'll probably hit about 7 million for the year. Now, 7 million would be the single best calendar year of job gains in U.S. history, but we lost over 22 million jobs last year. We had brought back about 12 million uh, through the remainder of 2020, even with this strong number. Even if we hit a record year, we're still going to be down about 3 million jobs from where we were when all this started. And if you include jobs that likely would have come, if we've continued adding jobs had COVID never happened, right now, uh, we're on track at the end of this year to be three to five million jobs below the trend we were on before this. So the employment healing is going to take us into 2022. It could take us through 2022 to really get everything back on track for the economy, the supply chains to really feel normal. We'll be improving over that time frame, but but we still have a little ways to go.
1: All right. I got a uh, a thing that we've had a, a few conversations with our clients about. They've uh, you know reached out to us. About mm-hmm. the middle of September, we got this this uh, situation with uh, Evergrande, this Chinese fund that uh, that owns about. I think they said they were going to default on about three hundred billion dollars of uh, real estate mm-hmm. payments that they had borrowed. Um, and you know, my context was if you put that in the context of the entire stock market, that's a small number. I know it sounds right. big, but it's a small number. But it did, or at least let's say this: the stock market pulled back, and it was given. Excuses around this idea. Let, could you just talk to us a little bit? Let's just pretend a company like that did default, or a fund like that did default on that much. I mean, really, yeah. you see that being a thing? I mean, what do you see? Why did it? Why did it create such a? I don't know, hoopla and, and potential pullback in the market and this idea. I saw one article that said we don't think it's going to be a tidal wave, but it's going to be a. It's going to be bigger than a ripple. Uh, so, could you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so let's talk
3: about Evergrande because this is something that got a lot of attention uh, over the weekend into the beginning of this week. It is a, a very large uh, Chinese property development management company. Now they have about 300 billion globally in debt, of which about 18 billion is U.S. dollar denominated. Um, 18 billion. So again, let's let's put this in context. One, the Fed right now is buying 120 billion dollars a month of bonds of securities. So this is roughly you know, one sixth the size of what the, the Federal Reserve is doing in a month in, month out basis. But here's the thing, the Chinese uh, property markets, this is an area where people have been seeing trouble coming for some time. The, the yields on these bonds have been rising and rising and rising significantly above the levels that we see here in the United States because it was clear that a risk was building. And so the U.S. financial system, the banks who are typically the ones that are holding international debt, funds that were holding international debt, there was very little exposure here in the United States. What we watched take place on Monday was that, that was the thing that got the headlines. People, I, I think it really was an excuse. They, they were thinking about potential tax hikes. They were thinking about what's going on at the border. They were thinking about what happened in Afghanistan. They were thinking about, you know, uncertainties related to all these other things, Delta, employment, whatever it may be. And this was just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And so before we really knew much about it, before anyone had had that ability to really dig in and say, how much exposure do we truly have, the market reacted to it. Now, here we stand just a couple days later, and the market is realizing this, and we see some corrections. This, this company may default. They've said they're going to try to, to service their U.S. debts, their international debts first, and that the, the losses would come within the, the Chinese economy. Um, total, let's, let's assume China, because China gets a lot of attention whenever the name comes up. They have so many people. They're the world's first or second largest economy, depending on how you calculate it. But for the S&P 500, for example, S&P 500 companies as a whole have about 2% exposure to China on their revenue side. So if China were to completely disappear, it, sure, it would have an impact on the S&P, but it's, it's not catastrophic. These things get blown out of proportion. The other thing that I, I, when we were thinking about this earlier this week, defaults, they've got a really bad name. But, but from an economic perspective, a broad market perspective, I think the response is overdone. It's clearly going to have an impact on whoever lent to them. But if we go back to 2008, 2009, we had a rule called mark to market accounting. This rule meant that, that with a bank, if you were a bank, um, and, and if, things started trading lower in the markets, regardless of whether or not it looked like it was gonna perform. If somebody else needed to sell in an emergency. So if a situation like this came up and somebody wanted to clear it out, if you held it and wanted to hold it, you still had to mark it down. It created this spiral where somebody would sell something out of panic, somebody else would have to mark theirs down, then they had to sell something in order to hit certain ratios. We created this panic spiral and, and the government realized we shouldn't have this mark to market accounting in place. It's just amp- it's adding fuel to the fire, so we got rid of it. That rule does not exist anymore. It got removed in March of 2009. So now defaults, they don't have the same wave. I would say they don't have the same ripple. I think this is something that in two, three weeks, the Evergrande, we're gonna remember this story maybe, But but when we look back on it, we're gonna say it has had very little impact on the fundamentals of the market. It had incredibly minimal impact on any of the companies in the s p 500 it just made for good headlines
0: well that is a a great summary there and thanks for your your position on that um we've got a couple minutes left here andrew and once again thanks for joining us and uh you know you've been with us for quite a few episodes at this point and we always like to end with putting you on the spot with a couple questions and so my Mm -hmm. question to you is um right now where we sit here um getting close to the end of the year What's Mm -hmm. keeping you up at night? Now that we've talked about all these different topics and you've done a great job with our rapid fire that we've thrown at you today, what's keeping you up at night right now?
3: Yeah, so what's keeping me up right now is my four-year-old, who's, who's, (laughs) uh, for whatever reason, he's going through this stretch where he gets up in the middle of the night. You know, uh, there's not a lot that's really keeping me up. There's certainly things that I'm keeping an eye on. I'm going to keep an eye. I'm continuing to watch to see if we have anything come up with, let's say, another variant. If there's anything that suggests that we're going to see any sort of shutdown— I'm watching also the debt ceiling debates. This is a a song and dance we've done a few times over the last five, 10 years. My expectation is that here over the next month, this is gonna start to become headlines again. And I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of questions on, you know, is the US gonna default on debt because we can't get agreements in Washington? I think it's very unlikely, but there's a lot of partisan politics taking place. So that to me is likely to be the next volatility event here as we start into the fourth quarter. We're watching it. We're looking at the numbers. We're watching the debates. We're listening to the whispers out of Washington, but that's 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 the biggest thing on my radar today.
1: All right. So we'll close with the positive. What are you excited about?
3: So I, I don't know if we've talked about this before. I was reading a book um, called "Like Ten Trends Every Smart Person Should Know" and and a bunch uh, of other interesting ones. And one of the things I've been thinking about is is what's taking place in the broader world. Let's let's step back from COVID. Let's step back from uh, just the, the broad economic. One one stat that that I found the other day, and I think this is an incredible stat, is up until the 1970s, up until the 1970s, less than half of the world's population could read. Less than half of the U.S. or the the world's adult population was literate. And we, we, we passed a point in around 1970 where we got to more than half the world's population, and today we stand at 87%. And so we're going through turmoil today, right? We're going through COVID, that's having impacts. And I get the question a lot, you know, with things that we did with the debt, all this, are you worried about your kids' futures and what they're gonna grow up into, the, the, the debt burden in the US? And I say, look, there, there are certainly things to be concerned about, but this is one of the most powerful factors in the world. When you have the ability to read, the ability to learn, plus we got these guys, we got these phones that are everywhere in the world. The kids today, whether they're young, you know, middle school, high school, into college, they've got better access to information, better ability to learn. They have the capacity to learn in a way that we've never seen before. And the deeper I dig into this and think about the ramifications, look, I don't know if the cure for cancer is going to come from the United States, or if it's going to come from Bangladesh, or if it's going to come from Vietnam or, or Taiwan, or whether it's going to come from Egypt or somewhere in South Africa, but, but we are unleashing potential for people to innovate, to, to, to build entrepreneurship. Now, I think as these ideas come out, they're gonna to wanna to bring them to the US. They're gonna to wanna to build their companies here. So right now I'm really excited about seeing some of these trends that don't get a lot of discussion, they don't get covered on the news, but I think they're gonna be massively impactful here uh, as we look out 10, 20, 30, 40 years.
0: Well, that's great andrew uh once again thank you so much for carving out some time for us today we know we we love uh these sessions with you we learn quite a bit and we know our listeners you've kind of become a a bit of a fan favorite with our listeners so uh, we appreciate your time and thanks again thank you so much for having me
2: all right everyone that wraps up today's episode of the secure your retirement podcast if you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off The Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email Morgan at POMWell.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, Please share our podcast with your favorite social network, so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.